Hello, friends. Cindy Silva here with Michael Gelb on the Metaphysical Wisdom Podcast. Michael is the author of How to Think Like Da Vinci, Leonardo Da Vinci. <laughs> um, really inspired by your creativity and just you're recognized around the world as one of the highest level coaches on creativity and wanted to open up a conversation and speak with you about what inspired you to write the book and what keeps you going in this direction, Michael. Cool. Well, delighted to be with you. Thanks very much. Yeah. Tell us about the process of, well, you've written what, 17 books Yeah. so far and they're translated in hundreds of languages and have sold millions of copies and um, yeah, what, you know, what, what's inside of you that keeps uh, moving you in the direction of exploring creativity and sharing it with people and integrating it with other systems. Like I saw that you were integrating Qigong um, with creativity. There was something called the um, Da Vinci Qigong. So I love how you're such an integrator of course. <laughs> where those intersections of systems or thought processes come together, something new emerges. And um, it seems like with the lightning bolt on your chest there, that logo that's everywhere on your promotional material, there's some kind of a, um, a, a spark that keeps it rolling on through your life and touching other people. Let's, let's get a, a look at that from your perspective. Well, thank you so much. You're doing such a great job of telling everybody about me. I feel like I just want to listen to you talk, but <laughs> here's my, this is my mouse pad. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, while you were saying all that, you know, what's the origin of the book and how do I keep doing all this stuff and making these connections and it really, it's, it's apparently it started at birth. <laughs> My mother, who's 91, says that when I was born, she said there was just so much energy, it was overwhelming to her. She had no, she had no idea what to make of this. And she says that, uh, that she just knew there was some sort of phenomenon happening. <laughs> but of course, that you know, that that didn't fit neatly into standard education. I was expelled from nursery school. <laughs> uh, well, I want to hear that story. <laughs> and, and I wasn't very happy in school. I used to think it was way too repressive and not very creative. And I would sit there in school thinking there has to be something better than this. And fortunately, I was lucky enough as the years went by, I found wonderful resources, great teachers and opportunities presented themselves. And I studied with marvelous, inspirational, practical teachers of consciousness and how to optimize the mind and the body and I, that's just so i've never had a real job or a normal career you know no high school guidance counselor or college career counselor would ever have said okay well you're going to be a professional juggler 
author of books on different subjects, Tai Chi and Qigong teacher. You're gonna get paid to lead wine tastings and get corporate leaders to write poetry. You're gonna travel around the world and you're going to have lots of fun inspiring people and you'll generate tremendous abundance. And after a while, it'll just be completely effortless and natural. Mm-hmm. So that's it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So. Well, I love your laugh. It's just really, I mean, it's like when we have that capacity to uh, laugh at ourselves and the absurdity of our life, even as amazing as it is, and just, that release, that movement of energy, right? In laughing and um, giving other people permission to laugh for no reason. I mean, there's, it's just spontaneous and um, brings something completely different to the space, really enjoying, enjoying this. Big time. Well, I do find, we were talking before about Ken Cohen, a teacher and very good friend of mine, and Ken, Ken is always, he's a very serious guy, very serious and mm-hmm. profoundly initiated into numerous wisdom traditions and able to speak Chinese perfectly, Lakota, Sioux, uh, just a, a rare global treasure, mm-hmm. but never too far away from a laugh and a smile. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was, I was uh, one of my other favorite Qigong teachers, masters, and dear friends of mine is, is Robert Peng. Yeah. And I actually introduced Robert and Ken because I, I created the first Super Chi Summit at Omega Institute. Mm-hmm. And my idea was to bring great masters together and let people experience this phenomenal you know they do this for yoga all the time i said why not qigong it just wasn't happening so i i said we'll make it happen so the very first one i was in the faculty dining room at omega with ken cohen and robert Peng, and they they were just meeting and having a great conversation in chinese but they were kind enough to translate for me. Hmm. So at one point, Robert says to Ken, your Chinese is so perfect. You're, you're so fluent. I just can't believe you're not Chinese. And then Ken says in Chinese, you mean I'm not Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> and the other, the other great Ken Cohen, is uh so his family his family's he has a jewish background and one jewish tradition is to go to chinese restaurants on sunday nights and on major holidays like christmas when a lot of restaurants are closed chinese restaurants would always be open and they'd always be filled up with jewish families and ken's family had a chinese restaurant not not far away that they used to go to on a regular basis and most of the clientele were, were Jewish people who spoke in it with a kind of Yiddish accent. 
So Ken starts speaking to the wait staff in Chinese, but he does it with Chinese with a Yiddish accent. <laughs> and the, the wait staff, as you might imagine, is just amazed by this. And at first they think he's serious. And then he, he explains them, no, I'm doing Chinese with a Yiddish accent because you're used to serving all these people. <laughs> and you can imagine that scene of just laughter. And, and, and so I, I, do, I do notice that the masters at the highest level usually have a smile on their face and, and a good belly laugh is not too far away whether it's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. You watch his dialogue with Desmond Tutu. And yeah. they're, they're just, it's a laugh fest and a love fest. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah over seriousness is a warning sign of mediocrity. Mm. Mm. I had never heard that. That's because I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we have to have the, the border, the structure, right, of the, the river, the two banks, so we can flow mm -hmm. down the middle. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Like, um, I host a book study and um, a study group and practice group for Qigong, and we've we've explored Ken's The Way of Qigong and also uh, Robert Peng's The Master Key. So those two teachers um, are familiar to us and both very dear to us. And uh, Ken is so approachable. I approached him and asked him to come on and um, meet the book study. And he did. He came on, he showed up live and answered questions and was so playful. And um, yeah, there's been a couple of times he was going to come here to where I live in Avila Beach and present. And then um, it's pretty close to Esalen. So one time there was a mudslide. So his trip got canceled. The next time uh, COVID came. So that trip got canceled. So we're going to try one more time to get him here so we can be with him in person. Can you, uh, see, what, can you see, can you read the hat that I'm wearing? No, what does it say? It says Esalen. Oh, yeah. I've been teaching there for years. Oh, really? Well, yeah. next time you come, let us know. We'll have you come to Avila Beach and uh, we'll do a little play shop, a genius play shop. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Qigong. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll have a little uh, chi fest. So let's <laughs> have you talk about genius. I think that's a, you know, an important um, word for you to define because you, you use it a lot. So I'd love to hear your definition of it. Well, there, there are definitions on different levels. So the highest level is universal global genius. And those are the people who've changed the world forever in a positive way. I don't count evil geniuses as geniuses because if they were real geniuses, they wouldn't be evil. Mm. Though there's very powerful intelligence sometimes informing morally unsound initiatives. In the end, it's just stupid to be evil. <laughs> so you're so you're eliminated from my all-time genius hall of fame. So the all-time genius hall of fame are the people who 
changed our world forever. And for example, Socrates and Plato changed our world forever. The fact that we're having this conversation in a logical construct uh, where we, you ask a question and then I say something and it, there's a logical background or an attempt at a logical background in, in our discourse, we largely owe to that, to that tradition of Greek philosophy. Philosophy, of course, means the love of wisdom. And it's, it's the search for truth, beauty, and goodness, and how truth, beauty, and goodness fit together. So this is your, my sense of your podcast, your group that you bring together. It's because you're interested in, in philosophy. Ultimately, you're interested in truth, beauty, and goodness, and how do they fit together? That's probably why you do Qigong. That's why I do it. It's why I study all this stuff. And I and I did all this without even before I even studied Socrates and Plato to realize that they laid this foundation for us and we just take it for granted. So the idea of academics, the academy comes from Plato. The idea of questioning continuous questioning as the way to discover truth, beauty, and goodness, and that that knowledge is deep within us, within the soul, and can be unleashed through intelligent questioning. We owe that to Socrates, and, and you got to count Plato, because Plato really wrote it all down. So that's genius. That's genius, because here we are a couple thousand years later, and that's informed all of us, whether we're aware of it, or not. So then there's genius in a field, in one field that changes that field forever. So last night, I, I'm doing this thing this week. Last night, I listened to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony as I fell off to sleep. And it was a little, you can't fall asleep during Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's intense. But I'm just on this thing of the night before I listened to Beethoven's Third. Because I've, I've, for years I've loved Beethoven's Ninth and I've listened to it over and over again. But I said, I really ought to listen to the other Beethoven symphonies and then all of his works. And I thought, well, I'll just do it every night before I go to sleep. And it's just, it's amazing how, how, how influential that was to all other music and to how we, it's, 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 I almost don't even have the words yet because I'm still taking it in. Uh, but I invite, and if you want to talk about Chi, wow. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, so Beethoven's a genius, Mozart's a genius, Ella Fitzgerald's a genius, and so's Count Basie, so's Glenn Miller, because uh, they these are people who uh, change their field in ways that influence us now in positive ways. Then you have people who are geniuses in a smaller world. They don't affect a whole field, but they might be a genius in terms of how they 
uplift or bring forth something creative that improves the quality of people's lives in their community, in their company or their school, maybe it's a teacher who comes up with a new way of bringing the curriculum to the kids that's more fun and more engaging. So then, so then there's just the everyday genius where you're accessing the creative to make a life that is more true, beautiful, and good for the, your community, for the people around you. So we can learn from the great all-time geniuses, and it's fun, I like to think of all of human history, who are the greatest geniuses who ever lived? What can we learn from them? What can we learn from Leonardo da Vinci? What can we learn from Thomas Edison? What can we learn from Socrates and Plato? What can we learn from Gandhi? And then, and then when you when you immerse yourself in the study of genius, the critical thing is to say, okay, well, how can I apply that to have more truth, beauty, and goodness in my life today? So that's I'm always looking at what are the practices. You know, my clients are mostly people who work in big companies, actually a lot of small companies too, some startups, and some nonprofits and even some government institutions. And they're all looking, how can I be more creative? How can I manage all the stresses, all the craziness, all the pressures of my life? Because you need genius thinking now. If you want a fulfilling, happy, beautiful life, you need genius thinking today. So I'm always looking at how to bring it to people what are the practices? What are the metaphors? What are the ways that people can live lives that are truer, more beautiful, and more authentically good? Mm. Yeah, it's a noble vision and pursuit. I appreciate that you're making that available through your unique perspective, right? Because there's, yeah, a lot of different um perspectives right it's all perspective I had a teacher once who said perspective isn't everything it's the only thing <laughs> <laughs> so we can all each share our perspective right and uh, influence each other and be influenced by because I feel like it's one one genius if you will or one consciousness having an experience of itself through these different forms meeting itself in different forms with different perspectives and when we're open to learning or receiving ourselves as another, something new can emerge that is an integral creative movement that can continue on instead of this sort of um, tribal mentality of if you're not like me, you don't smell like me, look like me, taste like me, you know, we don't have the same taste, um, then you're a threat to me or I'm, you know, threatened by you and you're so... I like this idea that we can open our perspective to meeting another person, seeing them as ourself in another form and getting curious about this, this version of me and its life experience and perspective and how can it complement, how can our experiences and perspective complement each other and let something like Carl Sagan said, somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. And can we be that form through which consciousness allows something new and incredible to be known? 
Yes. Yes. And 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 the I so I, I agree with what you just said and, and we we share a similar perspective that it's illuminating to learn from multiple perspectives and to look at things from different angles and that part of the challenge for humanity now is to rise above that tribal mentality to a direct perception of that which transcends our apparent differences whether you want to call it the soul or the spirit the essence the i am and some some of the some of the crystals that are reflecting the one universal consciousness are more polished and clearer and less polluted than others. So one, it's not just that it's all, every perspective is therefore valid. And no, there's a lot of nonsense and rubbish and delusion uh, uh, being foisted upon us from many different directions. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you, how do you sharpen your orientation towards beauty and goodness and truth? Mm. And it's looking, you know, there's some, there's some really clear indicators, really clear in, kindness versus something other than kindness. service versus self-aggrandizement, preaching hurt or negativity or blame towards others versus empathy, forgiveness, and loving kindness. So one has to develop this discernment, discernment in this, in this journey because it just makes for a much smoother ride. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. And it uh, makes me think of how, um, yeah, a lot, lot of the um, conditioning, you know, in our culture is to become something, right? To um, look out at the external world, at the reflection that we're receiving, and then identify with that projection and try to um I don't know overcome it or something I feel like more now my perspective is on that um it's more about looking for um what I'm not and eliminating that versus trying to become something right Lovely. Love. yes amen sister yeah <laughs> yes you can't yes. become what you already are right it's just removing what you're not so let go of the unnecessary yeah leave out the that which is not essential so yeah. it's a right it's, it's a and this is but again this is the part of the genius of the taiji qigong tradition mm -hmm. 
it's non-doing. Mm -hmm. It's a non-doing. Undoing. I mean, today. So today, it turned out to be a surprisingly sunny, warm day today. It started out cloudy, and there was rain, and it was, and then there's a tension between this. Was the sun going to come out between the clouds? And then all of a sudden, as I went for my walk earlier today, the sun started to come out, and it was so bright. I, I didn't have my hat on at the time, I had to, and I had a sweatshirt on. I took off my sweatshirt and I made it into a turban. And I was walking along, and there's a place I walk on this path near our home, and there's a pond, and the blue heron was there. There's a blue heron who just hangs out here, and he was stand he was standing there, you know, the way they stand. So I said, "Oh, cool! I'm going to do my standing practice right here with the blue heron." And I'm gonna stand for as long as he does. You know, I won't move until he moves, which could have gotten me, it could have been long. So <laughs> and so, you know, what is standing practice? I'm standing there doing nothing. I was thinking, what if my one of my neighbors sees me if they're walking by the path? Like, what is that guy doing? Nothing. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't doing anything. Just but just standing there, what a profound intense practice because mm -hmm. it was just about wow here's all this unnecessary stuff that's happening while i'm standing here why are my legs burning <laughs> I, was, I was in a really you know, pretty low stance there's like huh well that's fascinating and what can i let go of here because i don't think that that heron's Working too hard. He looks, you know, pretty. <laughs> Why can't I be like that? <laughs> yeah. So it's just not. It's it's this fabulous exercise in non-doing. And I I actually I was at uh, a friend of mine has this private retreat center devoted to Tai Chi and Qigong, and one of his friends happens to be staying there at the moment. And it's a friend of his who was two years his senior at their Kung Fu school 35 years ago. So these guys are long-term practitioners, really serious. And I happened to be there the other day and I just was with my friend's senior, not really his teacher, but his senior student brother, Kung Fu brother. And this guy's feel pretty sophisticated, been practicing for all these years. And we went for a walk. And he's asking me, so of all the practices and all the masters I've met and all of the esoteric things I've learned, what, you know, what's what's the one thing I think that is the most important thing in terms of if I could practice one thing every day, what would it be? So standing. And it's funny, so this guy, he disappeared then for an hour. He said, he had this blinding flash of the obvious that, oh my God, of course. And he went and he just had to stand for as long as he could by the pond over there. And he came back, yes, 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 of course. So, you know, all that, uh, the T.S. Eliot thing, we travel, we go around, we go and we come back, we find 
really the 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 home, the core, the essence is always with us, but we have to go off and explore. And life is like like the spiral. You keep coming back, but hopefully you're more informed. Say, oh, standing. Oh, you know, these universal, oh, love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, breathing, especially exhaling. What a great idea. (laughs) Oh, nature, being in, oh, nature to, oh yeah, cool. (laughs) Oh, beauty, you know, have some flowers when you do your podcast. Good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for noticing. Being aware. Whoa. Yeah, I know that um, there's principles in the book, the Leonardo book, How to Think Like Da Vinci. And one of them is, um, well, I like all of them. And um, just being in nature and noticing the design, the design in this incredible, like, where does this come from, right? Just the curiosity, even for me, about um, I think the greatest mystery, one of them is why am I attracted to what I'm attracted to, right? Like we 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 feel an attraction to something, but where is that coming from? Like we're we're all attracted to different things, but what's attracted to that something through us? I think that gives us an indication about what we're uniquely um, designed for when we track and follow. The direction of our um, attraction that's revealing our creativity over time. Yes, and and knowing that, and then praying, asking, intending that what we find ourselves attracted to and what we attract be blessed, be illuminating, be informed by love, and kindness and caring and goodness versus all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was, and these choice points, I was reading this book this morning by a psychic, really brilliant, brilliant, gifted psychic. And she, she, her opening story in the book is how this woman comes to her and the woman's all upset because her guy she thought she was going to marry just walked away uh, from their engagement and she thought he was the one and blah 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 so the psychic sees that this guy's already engaged to somebody else that he's a serial malevolent narcissistic abuser and the psychic basically lays this out for her and says well here's his name and here's what he you know his game and So you're at this choice point because you have the choice now to let go of this because this this wasn't your true love. This was an attraction that would have led you to years of misery and you've been blessed to be liberated from this person. But can you choose to embrace that freedom now and open up to a healthy 
happy relationship with somebody who will really love you and be your partner. Mm. And so you, and, and the psychic saw all this accurately from the past, saw all this in the future, but laid it on this lady in her, in the moment, in the present, she had to make, she had to make the choice. And we all have choices like that. Uh, so, you know, the fail safe is choose that which is the truest, the most beautiful, the most good. Yeah, that's um, benefiting all, not just yourself, right? That there's this bigger vision of um, being an instrument. Like, I know it sounds like a cliche, but that... Um, no, being an instrument of thy peace. It's, it's, a, it's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. And it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, because don't you often get the experience, I imagine, because you travel around the world and you're with big audiences, that um, that effortlessness comes and you're not the doer, you're being done through. You're like a passenger consciousness, right? Always my faith. I mean, my prayer is just to be in that zone always really you know just my struggle when when i feel like oh that's not happening enough or there aren't you know just i mean trust me i have all the same foibles and weaknesses of everybody else in the sense of my ego often wants things to be different and i want what i want now and <laughs> impatience and blah 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 that's where the humor comes in because then i tease myself and laugh about it make fun of it and makes me a little more patient. But having said all that, I was just talking to a friend yesterday. I said, my, I think I'm my most blissfully happy when I am in front of a huge audience of people, make, especially if I'm making them laugh. I taught these people from a bank a couple of weeks ago, about a hundred people. And I just, they were just, I had them cracking up. And I was just thinking, this is, this is so much fun. And I was in that time, I didn't want it to end. You know, it was a two hour program. It was over like that. Yeah. Uh, and then they give me a huge check. I mean, I just, I. <laughs> but, but my question is like, who had them cracking up? Like when you say I had them cracking up, right? Like who's the, who's the one? <laughs> right. right. The it's, it's not the huh? use of humor. Muse of humor? Yeah, the I mean that's May I channel the muse of humor? <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jerry Seinfeld. Uh-huh. I if I'm not watching Beethoven before I go to sleep or listening to Beethoven, usually before that I'll watch a Seinfeld routine or some other person I think is really, really funny. Yeah. And you know, to me, the funniest ones are the ones who are just they're just observing the way things are. It's right. not. That's where they get their materials, just by watching it, right? And endless the source of material. Yeah, the absurdity. Of like, so I was with these people from this bank, and what was funny is, this, this was a seminar on creativity, and they had done really cool things, really you'd be amazed at the transformational wonderful stuff they were doing on this day and you could see that there was a lot of effort in making a, a campus for this bank that had access to nature they had a wellness center 
there was really a lot of effort. On the other hand, I could also intuit that there was a lot of feeling of oppression and regulation and hierarchy and that they hadn't quite integrated that with their efforts towards wanting to be creative and wanting to do all this cool stuff. So I sensed that and that, and I made fun of that. Mm -hmm. It was just true. It was just obviously true. I had to make fun of everything we were doing because I could feel, I could empathize with the fact that they were still suffering from the fact that they were in this hierarchical system. Mm -hmm. So if I did say something, I would have seemed like a, you know, a tool of the corporate system colluding with this illusion that, oh, we were all liberated and creative, where, no, there's an absurdity here. Yeah. Let's just acknowledge this truth. And by acknowledging it, that then then we were really bonded and 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 connected. And believe me, I didn't plan that. It was just what was so in the space at that moment while we were interacting. Right, right. I appreciate that. That's that's good. Yeah, this may be a little overkill, this quote, but it reminds me of that Krishnamurti quote that said, um, to be well adjusted to an insanely sick society or system is no measure of health <laughs> or happiness, right? Like we just get, we conform because we're part of a herd and it's the daily grind and we don't even question it. We're just unconsciously in our habitual rhythm and flow and then someone comes in like you with a lightning bolt <laughs> that has the right question and everybody's like oh <laughs> it's like yesterday my husband was talking about some comedy thing he heard and um he was laughing about it because this guy was making fun of how um on a box of pop tarts there's instructions that's <laughs> right <laughs> and then the first instruction is be Jim Gaffigan. Be oh, Jim is it Jim? Yeah. yeah. Remove from package. Remove from package. <laughs> <laughs> he is hilarious. But just, you know, or, or the things I do, do not attempt. <laughs> like, really? They're in a dune buggy shooting 90 feet in the sky, spinning over. Do not attempt. This at home. <laughs> oh, right. So, okay, but you gave me the perfect lead into my Krishnamurti story. All right. So for years, I, I used to, friends of mine used to teach at the Krishnamurti school in Ojai. And he also used to teach at Brockwood Park in England. So I was in attendance at Krishnamurti's last presentation at Brockwood Park. And he, there's a huge white tent and lots of people all dressed in white. And Krishnamurti goes up to the stage and stands there. And here's what he said. He says, there is no speaker. There is no speaker. And it blew everybody's mind. <laughs> and you know, my interpretation of Krishnamurti is you came here because you think someone else is going to tell you something that's going to mm -hmm. do something for you. Forget about it. Work it out yourself. 
I mean, he was a badass in that respect, to say the least. Meantime, and this this is a true story. I'm in the lunch line, right? So it's a full day program, and I'm in the lunch line. Who is behind me in the lunch line? Jay Krishnamurti, standing right there, right next to me. It took all my self restraint not to turn to him and say, "There is no lunch line." <laughs> <laughs> I controlled myself. I. I you had to see one like the others. <laughs> no lunch line. <laughs> oh, so fun. Yeah. There's something that came in. Um, there is no lunch line, but there's always a punchline. Ah, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's your juggling. Let's see. Yeah, that, your, so, this is my, one of my juggling balls. Do you see that? Can you read what's on there? No. It says IBM. Oh, okay. Because this is a juggling ball from when I taught a thousand IBM engineers how to juggle in a big hotel ballroom. Wow. Surprised you haven't turned it into a clown nose. I'm not into the clown thing. No. Nah. Uh, it's just not my thing. I like just juggling as an art in its own right. And as Jerry Seinfeld would say, you know, if you introduce yourself as Bozo the Clown, do you really need the clown part? <laughs> yeah. Is that on your business card? The clown? Just be funny. You don't little, need to be Yeah, a little redundant, huh? Yeah. Uh, Gosh, there was something that came in I wanted to ask you for sure during this conversation. I'm just having so much fun. Everything's just a blank slate right now. So um, what's happening now in your um, creative unfoldment? You're still doing speaking and stuff, so lots of engagements. I'm really appreciative that you uh, said yes to this invitation, by the way. Thank you for that. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. I said yes because I sensed your genuine curiosity and, and openness. Oh. And that's what makes the world go round. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was inspired to ask you, a friend of mine recommended, and plus I'd read your book and then I saw your conversation with Ken and I loved your laughter. Like you laughed so much in that conversation where you were having that tea and and I saw a different side of Ken. So I realized you're someone who can bring out that playfulness. And um, I'm all about playful. You know, I think there's a lot of creativity in the playful field, right? The playground, like we don't have to, because we've grown up doesn't mean we can't have our own playground and we can create a playground wherever we are just by how we show up. Very much so, very much so. Well, you asked, what what what's going on now and next year 2023 is the 25th anniversary of the release of how to think like leonardo da vinci mm. and even though i've written 16 other books it is still the one that people reach out to me about the most from around the world because leonardo is a global archetype of human potential so i just got an inquiry from the united states postal service they just ordered 200 copies of How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, and they want to know if I can come speak at one of their events in Phoenix, Arizona, which 
I would love to do because it's going to happen, especially when it's cold. Here I'm on the East Coast. So yeah, I am. I am called to help spread the gospel of how to think like Leonardo da Vinci. The good news is the message of the book, the practices, the exercises are timeless. Yeah. So I review that myself and I was talking to the publisher. Do we need to do a 25th anniversary new edition? Not really, because the practices, have I learned new things in the 25 years since then? Yeah, but those are in my other books that I've written since then. Since then. But how to think like Leonardo da Vinci really stands up over time. We've also created a video program, six and a half hours of very high quality video. That's one of the things that kept me busy during the pandemic. And we're, we're releasing that and launching that. And uh, it's, it's the equivalent of doing a three-day seminar with me, except you can do it on your device or your mm -hmm. screen at home in your own time. So those are the things that I'm most passionate about is just spreading the gospel of how to think like Leonardo da Vinci and teaching Qigong, of course, which I love to do and practicing and, and learning from the, the, the Heron and my other teachers. <laughs> yes, yes. So a couple of questions. Um, one I wanna ask about what is Da Vinci Qigong here. I wanna hear you talk about that. And the other is, you, I know you have a background in uh, the Alexander technique, right? And um, for those that don't know, it's a, a movement practice, right? Sim is it similar to Feldenkrais in a sense of being well, the awareness? Feldenkrais studied with Alexander and then Alexander, Feldenkrais was a genius in his own right, but he was, uh, influenced by Alexander. Mm -hmm. That's really clear. If you read Body and Mature Behavior, Feldenkrais's first book, it's a lot of Alexander's ideas. The two systems are, are very compatible. One of my best friends, the guy who used to teach at the Krishnamurti Center, still lives in Ojai, uh, where the Krishnamurti School, I believe, still exists. And he trained with Alexander's uh, primary student, Walter Carrington, in London, and then he trained directly with Moshe Feldenkrais. So mm -hmm. he teaches both of them. And what Alexander, so the Alexander work is like Tasmania, tastes from Tasmania in Australia. And I call it Tasmanian Qigong because mm. he figured out from an entirely different cultural context, trying to solve the problem of how to develop his voice and overcome his laryngitis that he got on stage and develop his stage presence. He figured out the essence of Qigong and has different language about it and different ways of talking about it, but it's, it's Tasmanian Qigong. And it's gene, it's genius. He transformed the field of body, mind, awareness profoundly. So I trained for three years as an Alexander Technique teacher. And then I've created a synthesis of 
the main body, mind, spirit disciplines that I've studied for 45 years, the Alexander Technique, Aikido, Tai Chi, and Qigong. So, and a little bit of yoga, but I don't, I don't pretend to be able to teach yoga, uh, but I can teach all those other things. And I've created a synthesis of those, those things. Mm. I call body learning, which is also the name of my first book, which is about the Alexander Technique. Mm. Thank you for that. And the reason where how I want to tie that in is when I read somewhere um, in your book, I'm sure about how Da Vinci was very astute and um, clear about the necessity for being aware of what we're doing as we're doing it, particularly in relationship to the movements of the body and learning about ourselves through movement. Yes. Is that part of the, is that how that ties into the Da Vinci Qigong? The well, so, so the Da Vinci Qigong evolved when I was, so I was, I was writing this book called Creativity on Demand, which is about the relationship between Qi and creativity. That's where this logo came from. I was actually, in Costa Rica on a week-long intensive retreat with Robert Payne. And I was practicing Qigong for six hours a day and then I'd go to the beach and do a two, another two hours of practice. And I had this epiphany where I realized that the real missing link in accessing your own genius for many people is the energy, is the Qi. So how do you access the Qi? Because we know Look, Qigong and Tai Chi, these things, they started for fighting. And then if you fight, you get injured, so you have to heal. But when there's peace, this is what informed the arts. Music and poetry and calligraphy and dance. So... I just came up with this simple question. What, what are the qi, Qigong practices that the average person could do in 20 minutes or less to raise their creative baseline? Mm -hmm. So I asked that question. I went around and I asked many of the top Qigong masters and teachers in the world that question. I also asked a number of yoga teachers and Aikido masters and meditation guru, what can you do? 20 minutes or less accessible to the average person. And then I took the best of what I got and I put it in that book. So I, I finished what I learned from all these other people, but I still, I felt like there was something else that needed to come forth for the book. So I thought, how do I, how do I communicate the, Da Vinci, the chi of divine chi of Da Vinci, which is part of my life mission is to get these seven principles across to people. So I just started to play around with what are the movements, what are the Qigong movements that are expressions of the Da Vinci principles? Mm. And 
it became really clear. They're archetypal classic movements. You, you'd be familiar with most of them. I had to tweak them a little bit, but I, I, I basically crafted them together. And then by this point, I, I had made Ken Cohn and Robert Pang were my two closest friends and advisors in this realm. And so I just, I demonstrated this for Ken Cohen and I said, critique it. Is this kosher? Is this okay? To free? He said, how do you think they made up all these other Qigong? Somebody was inspired and they were tuned in and yeah, he said, go forth. And I showed it to Robert Pang and he said, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I made up the Da Vinci Qigong and then uh, I made up another one do you know, I, I was getting ready to go on a flight and this is the thing I would do. I said, I, I want to I wanna take a book to inspire me on this flight. What should it be? So I just walked around my office and I went and I picked up this book called Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. And I'd already read it, when, I think when it first came out, but I read it again on the flight. And I thought, I didn't think, again, this was being an instrument, being a vehicle. What came to me was, wow, we could take people on a, a journey through the levels of consciousness with movement, with classic Qigong movements. So I took from my repertoire of Qigong practices, by that point, I'd learned a lot from a lot of different people and i orchestrated this qigong practice that guides people through from force to power through each stage of consciousness mm -hmm. and it is super it, it's a really cool thing to do in a group mm -hmm. because it just we all want to get a little vacation and raise our vibration and it's good to do on your own too it's on my website it's free I, it's actually, I put it out when COVID, I think it was when COVID hit or maybe it was even before that, uh, at some key time when it felt like people need it, I just put it on my website for free. So it's there. People have to, you have to search around, but it's on michaelgeld.com because I figure humanity needs the evolution of consciousness. So I put it out there for free for everybody to learn. Everyone. I'll find it and I'll put it in the description of this. Great and yeah thank you for that I'm sure yeah I love I'm inspired too by combining forms and coming up with flows and sequences and uh, right. yesterday I woke up and I was feeling just some psychological discomfort and pressure and I blamed it on this uh, eclipse squaring my natal sun and all that yeah. <laughs> I, went, I did a, a, a practice of a uh, hour of qigong with about eight to ten people on the grass barefoot and i was a completely different person after that right i mean yeah. same person different kind of like moving through those frequency bands right and i i ha heard myself say something during the class that i'd never heard myself say before or had never made the connection before but like how we have different time zones across the world right like we have different time zones in us in that when we're striking a, a resonance at a certain frequency, our relationship to time is different. 
like the time zone that lives up in the head of the beta frequency moves really fast and we feel victimized by time or bullied by time. And we get into these other frequencies where it seems that time slows down or that we can yes. um, bend time. Then we're in a different time zone within ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. It was just really exciting to have that come through. And I like what you said about when you were writing this book and you had all these pieces and then you, you thought there's something missing or there's something more. And then you came up with the Da Vinci Qigong. It's like, what is that part of you that said there's something missing? What was there an intuitive sense or what is it that gave you that feeling in that sense? It was that there was something in your field wanting to be known, wanting yes. to be revealed, and you were sensing it in the subtle. And so you had to move into another space of expanding your awareness to include that, right? But there was something telling you you couldn't go forward. It wasn't complete. So I, I want to um, point at that as, as the mystery that that creates through us, that sees the bigger picture, right? That that has access to information that are more dense personality, limited perspective doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And how does the yin uh, and yang of our existence dance together in a way that we can be both form and formlessness um, in a complementary way that allows creative expression Beaut again beautifully stated well thank you beautifully created everything you've done and <laughs> i see you're writing another book on public speaking and so that's uh very important right now that we can speak freely and feel confident and um sharing what wants to be shared through us so i look forward to that book yeah it's out it's uh, it's called oh. mastering the, mastering the art of public speaking uh, it's published by New World Library out in California, great publisher, and it's um, it's everything I want people to know about how to have as much fun as I do when you're presenting, <laughs> even if you're in a bank or <laughs> how to make it as engaging as it can be and memorable and enjoyable for everybody, both you and whoever your audience happens to be. Right. Yeah. It's like you have access to something and you're you're generously giving others access to what you're experiencing. Yeah. And then it, it just is, it expands. And uh, then the next time you offer it, it's even more or some not more it's just uh less effort you know like you said it just gets more and more effortless because you're um yeah it's like the universe is recognizing itself in in as you you and you likewise there's a oneness there there there's no differentiation right where you can um move into the world of survival and take care of the body and the bills and the taxes and then move into the world of play and um, experience other um, 
ways of being that are sometimes go beyond the limitations of time and um, resources. You are such a pleasure to speak with. You're so articulate and clear and tuned in. Your students are, are really lucky to have you. Oh, well, thank you. Likewise. I'm glad we connected finally after all these years. Yeah. Um, being, yeah, admiring your work. And um, yeah, thank you for being here again, saying yes for all that you're doing. Is there a particular website? I know you have many that I can list in the description. Where Thanks. Where can find you? Sure. MichaelGelb.com, G-E-L-B. MichaelGelb.com is the best way to get everything. Uh, sign up for our free newsletter and search around on the website because there, there are videos, there's articles, there are podcasts, all free stuff that uh, I hope people will, will enjoy. Wow. Well, I hope they will too. And I hope you'll let us know when you come to California next. Maybe we'll- I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come and in, in, I'm hoping to be there in December. So if you want, we can uh, get some people together. We'll, we'll do something cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll stay in touch about that, Michael. Let's do. All right. Cool. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Great fun. Until next time. Bye for now.